So there are award ceremonies for all kinds of things in life. And I can remember one back in my high school years. Uh, we had this opening uh, season regional basketball tournament. And when the, that tournament came to an end, we had one uh, first place in that tournament and they were handing out that trophy and an MVP trophy was all going on. Now the previous season uh, for my team, it was my junior year, I had received the team MVP. Nothing, I, no claps, nothing. Ooh, ah, ooh. Oh, oh, yeah, so you make me feel better about my high school days. Uh, you know, I, I won the MVP of my team. I don't remember what my stats were, but they were, they were good for, for high school um, blocking shots and rebounding and I think I shot like 70% from the field that year. Yeah, it was really great. At any rate, as I was leading into that next season, I sprained my ankle really badly. And um, I was actually, for this tournament, I was wearing one of those air cast splint things on my, on my ankle. So I was hobbling around the court uh, during, those, during those games. But we won the championship, right? And then they start bringing the, the awards out and they called me for MVP. And like I was actually like shame, shameful as I like limped up there to, to get my MVP little medallion thing because there was a guy in my team that like far, like exceedingly outplayed me. He dominated the game. The reason we won those games was because of how he was playing. And I guess because of the little write-up going into that tournament, because I was the team MVP the last year, they just kind of voted me the MVP. It was like... Again, it was kind of embarrassing. I, I remember sitting, going back to the bench and taking it off of my head and putting it on his. And yeah, that, that was fun. But there are all kinds of award ceremonies, uh, whether it be for musical events or uh, for actors or athletes. But you've undoubtedly seen one of these kinds of presentations. And at one point or another, probably you may have disagreed with who received an award for something. Um, because there's all kinds of opinions. Everybody's got an opinion, and not all of our opinions are correct. But you know what? When it comes to the ultimate praise, there can be no mistake. Of the billions and billions of people that have ever lived, no one compares to the God that we worship. No human being has ever created a star No human being has ever made the sun stand still. No human being has ever, with the words of his mouth, multiplied loaves of bread and the fishes. Only God can do that. He is outstanding. He is above. He is utmost. He is uttermost. This morning, as we conclude this awesome book, the book of Romans, we want to praise our providing wise God. Let's look at our text for this morning. Romans 16, starting in verse 25. God's Word says, Now to Him who is able to strengthen you according to My Gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. 
To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. So as we think through this passage this morning, we will rejoice at God's powerful strengthening of His people through the unveiling of the good news about Jesus Christ that has been offered to all nations. This proclamation of the Gospel that results in our strengthening demonstrates God's wisdom through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So we praise Him now, as we have been this morning, from the very moment that Pastor Jeff came up here and talked about what God offers us today as we've come here. We've come here to receive from the Lord rest and refreshment and encouragement while we offer our praise to Him who has saved us from sin, saved us from condemnation, saved us from this constant wrestling for meaning and purpose. We see it all has unfolded as God has declared to us His great plan of giving us life through Christ. So we want to praise Him now, and we want to praise Him forever. In verse 25, the first word in the Greek text is actually the word him. Him. H-I-M. Not H-Y-M-N. Like the old hymns of the faith. No. The first word in the Greek text of verse 25 is him. Or you could say, to him. To him. It's in the dative. It means it's, it's, all the direction is facing that way. To him now belongs praise. This doxology, like all others, is designed to help us to digest the wonder of who God is and the wonder of what God does. He is so good. This is why the psalmist says, taste, taste, and see that the Lord is good. And Peter, in 1 Peter 2, he says, if in fact you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. And for so many of us in this room, we've tasted the goodness of the Lord. And that goodness of the Lord has led us to repentance, to see there's so much more. He has everything I need. And this verse of Scripture, this passage, this doxology begins with a hymn to Him. So the first area of our praise to the Lord is that God gives strength through the preaching of the Gospel. God gives strength through the preaching of the Gospel. Look again at verse 25. Now to Him who is able to strengthen you according to My Gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. He begins with this concept of God's ability. God is able. Now that doesn't surprise those of us that know a God that created the world. He said, let there be light. And guess what happened? Light. Like, that's just mind-blowing. We can kind of take it for granted now. We've read Genesis chapter 1 however many hundreds of times in our lives. Let there be light. Light. I can't do that. Now, you might have one of those smart houses and you might be able to walk into a room and say, light, and the lights turn on. That's great. But like all the wiring is there, right? And the Wi-Fi is going. And so you've got whatever this device is. All of that has been set up in place. God didn't need Wi-Fi or wiring. He just let there be light and there was light. 
It's amazing. Our God is so powerful and good. So it doesn't surprise us when the Bible says, now to Him who is able. He has the ability. He certainly does. But what is He able to do in this passage? He's able to strengthen you. He's able to strengthen you. Now we have many reasons that we're weak in this life. Um, We are fraught. That's a great word. Always wanted to use that in public. Fraught. We're filled with weakness. As we get older, not like in our teen years, not in our 20s, not in our 30s. But once you start heading into the 40s and beyond, you start to feel your weakness. You lost some of the strength of your youth and your body starts to wear down. Some of those joints start to be a little bit achy sometimes. The lower back starts to give you a little bit of crankiness, right? So we're familiar with the physical weakness, but life also starts to teach us about some other weaknesses as well. That we're not quite as capable as maybe we once thought we were. Maybe I can't quite tackle the world. Maybe I can't win every pursuit. Maybe, just maybe, I can't just do anything that I put my mind to. Maybe I have some weaknesses. And maybe, maybe I can conquer in certain areas, but there'll be some way in which our human weaknesses will be unveiled. We'll talk about that more in a couple of moments. This passage says, I want to tell you about the praise due to the one who is able to strengthen us. The word strengthen is very easy to understand what he means strengthen or establish to set us on firm footing i want to praise the one who is able to take us who are weak and give us some solidity some some solemnness some ability to not be shaken by every wind that comes our way he's strengthening us he's making us stable you know it's easy to talk about being stable But there are so many circumstances in this life that can serve to be like a tidal wave or a hurricane that kind of knock us off of our feet. They come in and change our whole view of life when they come. They can. Economic challenges are just one illustration. The the rising costs of housing Now, if you're in your 50s and 60s and you already have your house, the rising cost of housing is not as impactful. But if you are a uh, a graduating high school student or a graduating college student and you're looking at the possibility of at some point getting a home, you're looking at how much these houses cost and you think, how is that going to work? How is that going to work? These ratcheting up housing prices, gas prices. So everywhere you want to go, it costs three times what it costs just a short time ago. Food prices are, are ratcheting up, right? I, I bought, just the other day, sorry to tell you about this, a rack of ribs. It was like 20 bucks for a ra- like one, one rack of ribs. Now, if you went to a restaurant and they provide you with a rack of ribs and they prepare the rack of ribs and they put sides with that rack of ribs, it'll cost you a little bit of around 20 bucks. But we were really smart. We went to the store and we bought $20 worth of ribs and had to prepare it all ourselves and all the sides. But it's funny 
But eventually, the rising costs of food starts to hinder some of our plans, doesn't it? It's an interesting time to live. Those are just financial things. Honestly, in most ways, finances are kind of small potatoes in the scheme of things. No one? Really? Small potatoes? Talking about food? (laughs) What about health crisis? Here you are, everything's going fine, and then something's not right, you get a test and you find out you have cancer. Or you can feel the looming pain growing in your knuckles or your knees or your hips, and and you, you find out, you already knew, but you found out arthritis is infesting your body. Painful. Or maybe unexplained migraines. It's like, man, I just, no matter what I do, my treatment of these things, it, it, it clouds your vision of life. Or even, maybe even possibly worse, when you start to lose, like, motor function. You know, I, suddenly I can't walk the way I, I want to walk. I, I, you know, and, and it's unexplained. What, what is the cause of me not being able to feel my feet or my hands? These types of problems and many more can make our journey in life feel like we are slogging through the mud. It's so hard. So difficult. But God uses these difficult circumstances to reveal our weaknesses and our need. And He calls us to experience His strength in the midst of difficulty. Listen to these words from Psalm 40. They're really beautiful. Psalm 40 and verse 2. He drew me up. He. Who's the actor? God. He drew me up from the pit of destruction and out of the miry bog. He set my feet upon a rock, making my steps, what does it say? Secure. Here I am slogging through the mud. And there, is all kind, there are all kinds of things that just unveil the fact that I'm weak and weary. But God, the One who is able to strengthen us, can, can pull us out of the miry bog, the slog of life, and He can set my feet on a rock. You know what's interesting? That rock is symbolic in many texts of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not like He just sets me on some good setting over here. That's wonderful. But He sets me on someone who is unfailing that will never be uh, whittled away no matter what storm might come. The rock on a side of a hill, that, that could erode like the old man on the mountain up in New Hampshire. thing fell off. The old man's no longer. That stinks. But when we're set on the rock of Christ, He is immovable and undaunted no matter what happens, no matter what wind comes, no matter what tidal wave comes, God is able to strengthen me and set me on a a rock. He is a sure and secure place for us. This is what God does. God is amazing at keeping us. He does this perfectly. Look at these texts on on my left and right. 1 Peter chapter 5 is a glorious text. Peter's whole letter is about this this looming difficulty coming. There's this looming... uh, Persecution for the church coming. That's what he's envisioning 
before Nero really unleashed his fury on the church. And all through it, he's telling them to embrace themselves in Christ, but listen to how he secures them. Not upon their own willpower and their own personal faith. It's upon something way better than my willpower and way better than my faith. It's based upon a solid God who doesn't move. It says in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 10, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will what does it say? Who's going to do this? He will. He will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Which is why we gladly say to Him, be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is good news, friends. God is reliant upon no one. He's reliant upon no one. When we come to Him, we come with all of our warts, we come with all of our weaknesses, and we come with all of our sin. And He exchanges my sin for His glorious righteousness. What a great deal for me. What a great deal for me. Lord, here I am. I don't bring anything good, but I'm absolutely desperate for the good that You bring. And He brings it every single time. Why? Because this is who He is. Now to Him who is able to strengthen you according to the preaching of my Gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. In uh, Jude 24, same concept here. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of His glory with, what does it say? Why great joy? Because we see His glorious hand of redemption His glorious hand of sustaining and His glorious hand of glorifying. All His work, He does it. He's gloriously good. He keeps us from stumbling. He presents us blameless. This is because it's His work and He does it perfectly every time. Satan may try to dissuade us, unsettle us. Our flesh might want to run for cover Somewhere other than God. Yours does. Mine does. You want to know why? Jesus made it very clear. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. And there's not one of us in this room that doesn't have evil deeds that are unveiled in our hearts. And sometimes we'd much rather run away than run toward God. Satan wants to encourage us to run away or find some other location for rest. But I want to tell you, and you've probably experienced at one point or another, there is no rest there. There's no rest out there. There's no rest in here unless it comes from Him. He provides rest for our soul. He's very good. The the world around us tries to paint pictures of better horizons, but no other endeavor, no other person, no other accomplishment will ever provide life, safety, 
or stability like the God who made you. Run to Him. Run to Him today. Run to Him tomorrow. Run to Him always. He is a refuge to those who put their trust in Him. He's able to settle us. He's able to establish us. He's able to strengthen us. You know, even when you do not have the energy or the strength to run to Him, He's still able to deliver you. The book of 2 Peter is is wonderful. It starts with an, an overwhelming display of God's grace in the first few verses. And it ends that we are to, to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the middle, you have what one might consider a heavy section about false teachers. He talks about Lot in some of it. He talks about the angels who left their first estate. There's a lot going on there. But right smack dab, dab in the middle of chapter 2 of the book of Second Peter is this glorious statement, I think, that, that really opens the, the, the whole chapter of chapter 2 to us. Listen to these words. Oh, there they are. They're up on the board for us. Second Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. The Lord knows how to rescue, rescue the godly from trials. Temptations, difficulties, even when you don't have the energy or the strength to do it, God does this. How does He do this? How does He do this? Remember, back in our text, we're still there. Look at, look at verse 25. Now to Him who is able to strengthen you according to My Gospel, Gospel means good news, And then you could say, instead of and, you could say even, even the preaching of Jesus Christ. His gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, he's talking about the same thing there. His gospel is the preaching of Jesus Christ. So really, every week we could literally turn to Colossians 2, and we're going to do that this morning. Take a look at Colossians 2 for just a moment. We're talking about how God delivers us that have been born again from difficulty. How does God strengthen us even when we have no strength? The answer is that God has revealed through the Gospel which is centered on Jesus Christ that He has everything we need to solidify our footing. That He is a good and a safe place to stand. In in Colossians chapter 2, look at verses 6 and 7. He says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. The same way you received Him. How did you receive Christ? You believed. You believed. How do you walk in Him? You believe Him. You believe Him. And what's the result of that? Verse 7, you're rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith just as you were taught, 
abounding in thanksgiving. God has given us a place to be rooted, and it's by looking back to Him constantly. This is why the gathering of God's people is important. Because in and of ourselves, we grow weary, right? And we look for solutions in all sorts of places. When we come together, we kind of remind each other there's only one place to look. You look anywhere else, it's going to be useless, harmful, hurtful. Look to Christ. So we come together. And in our public proclamation, wonderful. We remind one another of Christ. And in our private conversations, in our private counseling meetings, we remind one another there is everything you need in Christ. Look to Him. He's safe. He's secure. He's kind. Come to Him. He'll bring mercy and grace every time just when you need it. Come to Him. This is what we do. So head head back to Romans now. We're considering areas of praise for God in this doxology. And we covered the one that was going to take us the most amount of time. God's power and stability in the face of our weakness and inability is a reason for us to praise God. A second area is that the preaching of the Gospel has been fully unveiled. And so we'll state it this way. God has unveiled His provision in Christ. God has unveiled His provision in Christ. Look again at chapter 16 of Romans. We'll start in verse 25 again. We're going to read right down to the middle of verse 26. Now to Him who was able to strengthen you according to My Gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was, past tense, kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations. So He has hidden previously. I guess the question we have to ask of this text think through is how hidden was the revelation about Jesus Christ? How hidden was it? And I think as you read through the Old Testament trying to think properly which is how is this text pointing me to God's provision in Christ? In bits and pieces we start to see that God is revealing His provision. And you can see it right at the beginning of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 3, think about this. The the start of Genesis chapter 3, the the serpent was more subtle than any of the beasts of the field. And he comes along, and this subtle beast starts to talk to Eve. He was so subtle, she didn't think, Adam, there's an animal talking to me. It just kind of captured her mind, right? And the, the, the serpent in the personification of Satan, is alluring Eve to do the only thing that God told her not to do, which is to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in the face of Eve and Adam, completely disregarding God and His instruction, choosing for themselves a better way, God, instead of simply saying, well, I gave you I gave you your one job. You failed. You're out. He said, I want to unveil to you my plan of redemption. And he talks about the seed of the woman crushing the head 
of the serpent. That's a first little touch for us to understand that God was going to provide redemption for people rebelling against God. As you see the story unfold, you can go to Noah and you can see that in in every thought of every person's heart, every moment was only evil continually. That's how uh, Genesis 6 is unveiling what's going on in Noah's time. And then it says, and Noah being such a great guy, God was pleased to rescue. No. Noah, one of these people, found grace, God's unmerited favor, in the eyes of the Lord. You see this little redemptive concept here. Just a a one step further. Then you get to Genesis chapter 12 and you see Abram. He's, He's out... He's got his own life going on, and God, for some reason, chooses to call Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees, and he gives him a promise. And he says, I'm going to make from you a people, and and you're going to have this land, and you're going to be blessed, but not just you. Through your seed, someone that's going to come after you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. See, it's not as if God did not tell people that there was going to be provision in Christ. It's that He incrementally is helping us to understand He's providing something. And as you and I look back, we can see the the glory of what God was unfolding in those days. But it was mysterious to them. It was hidden to them until God unveiled it. It's been disclosed now. As we think about those things and so many others, uh, the sacrifice in the garden to cover Adam and Eve's nakedness, uh, the Passover lamb that God used to cover His people Israel, these are all shadows, and there are many more, that were forecasting the coming of the Messiah who would lay down His life for many. This is why Paul spoke of all those Old Testament passageways and pathways and sacrifices as a shadow. A shadow. What do you do with a shadow? Well, kind of helpful if it's hot. You can get underneath it. (laughs) But what does it do for you? Can you grab it? Christ is the substance. This is what he says in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 17. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So we'll remember that the Lord Jesus was unveiling this in his discussion with two men one day. I want you to turn, please, if you would, to Luke chapter 24 for just a moment. I'm going to read a, a section of Scripture here in Luke 24. Because we're, what we're talking about, we're praising a God who strengthens us through the preaching of the Gospel which is the preaching about Jesus Christ, which for generations was, was just kind of being implied and forecasted and foreshadowed, now has been completely unveiled. But what Jesus does for us in Luke chapter 24, similar to what He does in John chapter 5, is He helps us to understand as we read the Scriptures, whether it's Genesis or it's revelation, there's one main idea we're looking for. What is God providing through Jesus Christ? Take a look, please, at Luke 24, 
starting in verse 13. It says, That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about the things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus Himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing Him. And He said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? Can you stop there and just appreciate this for a moment? First of all, in other texts of Scripture, people are having dialogue in their brains, and Jesus says, Why are you saying that? These guys are talking out loud, and Jesus said, what you talking about? The subject that they're talking about is about him. Do you think he might know what happened in these days? So just try to appreciate what's going on here. Jesus comes along them, and he says, what things? Verse 19, they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. And how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that, They had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had spoken, but him they did not see. And stop there for a second. Just unfolding, unfolding the accounts of what Jesus endured. We had hoped that this was the one who would redeem. Israel, you're talking, you're talking to the Redeemer, but, but God had not disclosed that to them. In fact, he, he divinely kept them from understanding that at that moment. But he was about to do something amazing. Verse 25, And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the, what does it say? Prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into His glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the Scriptures the things concerning whom? Himself. So so God's Word lets us know that all these bits and pieces of the Old Testament were to help us to see that God was unveiling or progressively unveiling His message of salvation and provision through Jesus Christ. Jesus is unfolding this before them. Verse 28, So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he was going to go farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in and stayed with them. When he was at the table with them, he broke the bread and blessed and broke it. And he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight 
they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened the scriptures to us? Why were their hearts burning? They were starting to see, oh, this, these these sacrifices, God providing manna, God providing water, God providing quail, God being a refuge to those who trust Him, God speaking words of comfort to rebellious Israel. All of these things were were harbingers, were forerunners, were foretastes of the provision He was going to give in in Christ. And so their hearts were burning within them, but they still didn't understand because a heart burning does not equal a heart filled with faith and provision. It just means I've been stirred up. But then, at dinner, when He broke the bread and blessed it and gave it to them, God unveiled their eyes. And they saw for real that, they, that God provides salvation through Christ and evermore their lives were changed. So what's, what does this have to do with Romans 16? Now to Him who is able to strengthen you, how? Through the preaching of My Gospel, which is the preaching about Jesus Christ, which formerly was mysterious and, and, and held back, hidden, but now has been fully revealed. How has it been revealed? In the provision of Jesus Christ. We see it in John 1 and Hebrews chapter 1 that that Jesus is the exact replica of the Father. That He is the unveiling of the Father. That that if you want to see the Father, you see Christ. He's the unveiling of all of these things. In His uh, flesh, in His words and deeds, the life of Christ unveils God's provision. You know, there's no other message needed than this one. Which is why we come back to it again and again. Every time we're together, individually, corporately, we are talking about this message of God providing life and joy and peace and righteousness through Christ. Head back, please, with me. Romans 16. There's no other message needed. God strengthens us and confirms us through the preaching centered on Jesus Christ that was anticipated from the beginning and fully revealed now. So the next area of our praise is that God is offering salvation to people everywhere. God is offering salvation to people everywhere. Take a look again at verse 26. He says, But now has disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith. God has made known these truths to all nations. They're for all nations. They're for all people is the concept. The question is, how does God unveil these truths to all people? Well, there are several ways that God unveils His good news. You start to see a glimpse of it by what God has made in creation. But that's not sufficient to bring about true saving faith. And so God has given us His Word. He testifies to us in His Word of 
who He is and what He has provided in Christ. The power, uh, the Gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then, God uses His people to testify. God has called you and He's called me to tell people about the good news that God offers forgiveness of sin because of Christ and through Christ. That God offers eternal life. Perfect, pure righteousness forever through Christ. He's done this for you. We offer this to people. We're fully aware that we hold this treasure of the Gospel in normal, fallible bodies. In jars of clay, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. But the presentation of the good news about God's gift of life through Christ is for all people. This is according to the command of the eternal God, it says in verse 26. This means that it's at this time that God has unveiled this. It's, this is not the Great Commission kind of command that to, to, to go to the nations. This is, it was God's discretion to go from mystery to unveiled. And God has done that. This is according to the command of the eternal God who is before all things and after all things. And why does, why does He unveil it? It's to bring about the obedience of faith. Let's talk about that for just a moment here. This concept, the obedience of faith, bookends the, gospel, uh, the, the book of Romans. It's, it's, he talks about it in Romans chapter 1, verses 1-5. through 5, And he comes back to it at the end of Romans. And the concept of the obedience of faith is that God has issued this call for people to come to Him. God says, believe. Believe My Son. I have demonstrated My love for you. My Son has lived on your behalf. He has died on your behalf. He was buried for you. And He was raised for your justification. Come to Me. I will give you life. The word here for obedience is uh, hupakuo. It means to come under. Come under the hearing. To come under the hearing. And the obedience of faith is God issues this call. Come to Me. And there are some that hearing that call to come, to believe, say, yes, yes, Lord, I see. I see the glory that You have offered to me in forgiveness and the joy that can be mine in knowing I have an eternal safety in You. That I'll be with You forever. We come. We obey the call to trust Christ. But we also know there are those that will come underneath the sound of the Gospel And they will not say, yes, Lord. They'll say, no, thank you. There's two different concepts here. When we believe, we receive spiritual life, eternal life, and that spiritual life impacts our days. And God transforms us to want to hear more of who He is we begin to find Him welcoming, loving, kind, merciful, gracious. We see His provision for us in Jesus Christ and we come. We're amazed. When we 
have the scales removed, the darkness removed, and the light enters in. And the death passes away, and the life enters in. It is so natural for us when we find ourselves back in the old way of thinking to say, oh, no, no, I remember who my God is. I remember what He offers to me in Jesus. And so we go back. We go back. Why? Because God is able to strengthen us through the preaching of the Gospel, which is the preaching about Jesus Christ, which was formerly hidden, now disclosed. And this makes us say, wow, Lord, You are amazingly wise. You're amazingly wise. This brings us to our last point of praise this morning. God should be praised for His wisdom in providing salvation. Verse 27. Will you read verse 27 with me? I know you might have a different version. It's okay. We can clash our words for a moment. And I'll try to say this succinctly. Ready? Verse 27. To the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. What God unveils in the preaching of the Gospel is so radically different than anything that we could conceive on our own. God willingly laid down the life of His beloved Son. This is not the message that's conceived through some guy just contemplating the mysteries of life. It's like, if you were just all by yourself, never heard the Bible, you're sitting out in a field uh, meditating on your navel, you would not come up with God sending His Son to lay down His life because of your rebellious sin. You would never come up with that. What's amazing is, this comes from the mind of a glorious, perfect, holy, righteous, wise God. And we say, Lord, this this blows my mind. As we look at the Gospel, we're reading the mind of an eternal God. We can see His wisdom in providing this radical rescue. The angels marvel at this salvation provided by God. And the results that come from a diverse multitude of forgiven, redeemed, grateful people. The whole book of Romans testifies to God's mercies found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. So it's fitting that the book ends on a note of praise for a God who unfathomably saves sinners like us. His plan is amazing. His plan is wise. And His plan results in our eternal salvation. Let's praise God from whom all blessings flow. Let's pray together. Father, You are good. And Your plan amazes us. We rejoice that You have unveiled to us. You've you've opened our eyes to see that You have offered to us real enduring life because You sent Your Son, Jesus, to live for us, to die for us, and to be raised for us. And we still marvel that He is at Your right hand, always living to make intercession for us. Thank You, Father, for revealing to us just how good You are. 
we praise you that you are able to strengthen us who are weak of our own accord, but you have settled us on the rock of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.